Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. Have you ever wondered what it would be like when God released the platform of promise in your life? Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Corral, and I'm here today to teach you about the biblical principles of God's stepping stones into destiny. Today, I want to teach you about the little secrets that bring such great success in our lives that we find all throughout the Bible. Did you know that it was God's will that you succeed and that not only succeed, but that you prosper every way that you go? But guess what? Succeeding in the biblical sense of scripture has to do with our own choice. Because if we follow the paths that God has set in his word and we learn about the stepping stones into greatness and we walk in the paths of God and we learn from all the biblical resumes that have been placed in God's word for the people that God has promoted and God has used and brought them to their highest stratosphere of purpose and meaning and destiny, then you and I can follow those resumes and we ourselves can follow in the paths that God has laid out for us in his word, these little secrets that bring such great success. Just as it is said in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible tells us so clearly, let me just quote it for you because I believe this is going to be a promise for you in 2022 because God uh, uh, wants to open the destiny for you. God wants to open those doors of promise into your life. This is what the Bible says. Be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do all that the Torah, my servant Moses, commanded. Turn not to the right or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Now watch this. The Bible says that you may observe to do all that is written therein, then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. So do you know what that really means? That means the biblical version of success is not the same as the world's. So you do not need to use any of the world's success secrets. Beloved saints, the secrets to success in God's word, the little secrets that bring huge success are what I want to share with you today as we look at the word of God. But before we do that, I want to, first of all, invite you to be part of our podcast. Our national podcast is heard on many different platforms, and you can go to mydayofdestiny.com 
www.thepodcastnetwork.com and download all of our podcasts in the past and also access the opportunity to get my latest book, Access or Secrets to the Anointing. Beloved, I want you to know the secrets to the anointing that God has in your life. And you can do that by going to our website. Now, beloved saints, let's pray, let's get started, and let's focus on the word of God as we learn about the stepping stones into destiny as you see your platform and your purpose. Heavenly Father, today we give you praise. We give you glory for every beloved saint of God that is joining us around the world on this podcast and Facebook Live. Father God, for Jesus' sake, we ask that there would be such an anointing poured out from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. I pray right now in Jesus' name for every person, Father, that their platform is waiting for them whether it is a platform on their job or whether it is an opportunity that has just been given to them in their business or Father God, whether it is a door of destiny that they have been praying about to be opened. Father, we are all in agreement for one another that Lord, as we join this prayer meeting together, not just individuals, listening to some teaching, but together as a family, we are joining together, praying for one another, believing God for one another, and believing that the doors of destiny are going to be open to God's precious, faithful children who have endured so much testing, trials, and tribulation in this last year. So Father God, we give you praise and we give you glory. For Jesus' sake, let not your handmaiden be seen or heard, for we would see Jesus in his mighty name. Amen and amen. Beloved, I want you to understand before we begin, one of the reasons why God entrusts a platform to his people. The improper perception of power and influence can actually impede our success. When we do not understand the God-given gift of why God needs us to step up into our highest dimension of destiny, but we must also understand the great responsibility with influence and with the power God wants to give to us, which is the authority in Christ Jesus. Now, beloved saints, I want you to understand that the Bible is very clear. When those who should not have in the natural succeeded and arrived at such a powerful place that God has ordained for them before the foundation of the world. Most of those in the Bible that have achieved a supernatural stepping stone into greatness, we will see that there is a common denominator of destiny. And that is that not only did they pass the examination for qualification into destiny, which is always done by our character and character traits, but I also want you to understand, dear people of God, that the improper perception of power and influence can actually hinder us 
or if God opens that door, we can actually sabotage our own success by pride, by the mismanagement of power and influence that God has given us when we think it's about us. Because it's not about us. So I'm first of all going to set the foundation so that we will understand the biblical perception of power and influence. Because I want to ask you the question, what are you going to do when the king extends his golden scepter of influence into your life? Because you have been ordained for such a time as this. So let's look at the word of God. First of all, I want to show you a great example of Mordecai. Mordecai is one of the most righteous men in all of the Bible. The Bible introduces Mordecai to us in the book of Esther through giving us a resume about his background. Not only is the Bible telling us that he is a Ben Kish or the son of Kish in his descendancy, that he belongs to the royal family of the first Melech, the first king of Israel, who is Shaul or Saul. But the Bible tells us something about Mordecai that qualifies him for the exalted position that God is going to entrust him with. And what might that be? You might ask the question, is it because he was so intelligent? No. Is it because he's related to King Saul? Not necessarily. Is it because he is so witty and so charming? Is it because of his money, his position, his wealth? Or maybe it's because of who he knew. It is none of the above. The Bible is going to give us a clear, concise resume. When the Bible introduces us, to Mordecai. The Bible is going to show us something about his character that caused God to not only entrust him with a great position of power in his generation, but also he was faithful in something that was so precious in the eyes of God. There are character traits that God uses, and there are also character traits that God refuses. And in the introduction to Mordecai, the biblical resume qualifies Mordecai for what we are going to see that the divine providence works in his life. And we are going to see, and of course we know when we study the Bible, God is an equal opportunity employer. I want you to understand no one gets a free pass to destiny even if you're Mordecai ben Kish, even if you are Moses, even if you're Isaac, the son of Abraham, everyone must be proven because there is a proving process to destiny. Let us look and see how the Bible qualifies Mordecai for his position. Looking at Esther chapter 2, verse 5, the Bible says, Now in Shushan the palace there was a certain Jew, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Yair, the son of Shmi, the son of Kish, a, Benjamin, a Benjaminite. Now the first thing I want you to know that we already know if you've studied the book of Esther with us in the past, 
we already know, beloved saints, that Saul, who is the most important Benjaminite that ever was in the tribe of Benjamin, besides Benjamin, his name is not in this genealogy, but his father's name is. And this is because the scripture is showing us that scripture has literally deleted Saul from destiny. Why? Because of his great disobedience. And what we are going to read in the book of Esther actually is from the direct effect of Saul's disobedience to the prophet Samuel, not just in one occasion, but in several occasions, but particularly the last occasion of disobedience recorded in the scripture concerning Saul and the prophet Samuel is found in 1 Samuel chapter 15 when he refused to obey the commandment of the Lord in the total and complete annihilation of Amalek. And we see that uh, by this disobedience that the seed of Amalek or Amalek appears later in history in the person of Haman or Haman, the son of Hamadatta, the Agagite, all as a result of Saul's disobedience. But let's look at the resume. God is going to give Mordecai, who is the descendant of King Saul. The Bible says, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity that had been carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. Now watch this. And he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, and she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when, his fa when her father and mother were dead, took her to be his own daughter. You know the Bible qualifies this as a partial um, entry into the resume of the making of greatness in the eyes of God in the life of Mordecai. The Bible tells us two things about Mordecai here. Number one, that Mordecai is practicing the character trait of Arevut. Arevut is the character trait that says, I'm your responsibility and you're my responsibility. Did you know that taking the responsibility for another human being qualifies one for greatness in the kingdom of God? Let me show you the pattern. Number one, let's look just for a moment at Ruth. We see Ruth the Moabitess. And did you know that all Moabites were banned from entering the congregation of the children of Israel? The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, no Moabite or Ammonite can enter the congregation of Israel to the 10th generation, even forever. And we see the same thing listed again in Nehemiah 13, verses 1 and 2. No Moabite or Ammonite can enter the congregation of Israel to the 10th generation, even forever. 
But yet, we have someone who not only entered the congregation of Israel, but became a mother of royalty. She is so royal in the sight of God that she actually has been graduated to a place of greatness that an entire book in scripture is written about why. She broke the curse. The curse went into reverse, not only through the hesed and kindness that she showed to Naomi, but taking the responsibility for Naomi. When legally, Naomi was really not her responsibility. Ruth is a Moabitess. Naomi is from Judah. Ruth's husband is dead and there are no children. Naomi's husband is dead and so are her two sons. Yet the responsibility that Ruth is going to take when she is legally not obligated. This is why Naomi said to the other daughter-in-law, she said, um, she said, go back to your homes and to your idols. And I want you to understand, as we look at this, I want you to see what the Bible is teaching us about taking the responsibility for another human being. I want you to see the qualification for exaltation into greatness. It is not talent. It is not your ability. It is not how you look. It is not who you know. It is not how much money you have. It is not your sphere of success and how affluent you are and how great you speak. I want you to understand promotion comes from God. God is an equal opportunity employer. And the Bible is very clear because this is why the Bible is dedicated for us pages in the scriptures to show us that actually your impossible situation can actually be turned around by the uh, demonstration of kindness and goodness and taking the responsibility. Notice what the Bible says that Naomi is saying to both of her daughters-in-law, she says, turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Verse 12 says, turn again, my daughters. Go your way. I'm too old to have a husband. And she said, uh, she said um, would you wait till my next set of sons are grown? Go back to your families. And notice what the Bible tells us. The Bible says in verse 14, they lifted up their voice and wept and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth claved to her. What does this mean and why is this even in the Bible? And is this just written so we know it happened or is the Bible instructing us? First of all, I want you to understand we do not read the Bible like a newspaper. We are not reading facts so they know they happened. I want you to understand that the Bible is personal, powerful, prophetic, and relevant. Everything in the Bible is for instruction, and it will direct you into your destiny. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction, in, and instruction in righteousness that the man or slash woman of God might be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 
So now I'm furnishing you from the word of God unto all good works so that your biblical resume may include the acts of kindness and learning to take responsibility for another human being. I want you to see, the Bible tells us, Orpah lifted up her voice and she kissed her mother-in-law. What does that mean? That means that her name Orpah is taken from the root Hebrew word oreth, which means back of the neck. What is the back of a neck? Someone's back of the neck you see when they turn around. That means that she turned her back on Naomi in the eyes of God. This means that her love was only superficial. It was not sacrificial. She was not willing to selflessly give up what she wanted for a brief period of time till Naomi got settled. She was not willing to leave the land of comfort to watch over Naomi. This means you, Orpah, you whose name represents Oreth, the back of the neck, you were actually going to let the mother of the man you were married to who died walk by herself as an older woman across the Judean desert, out of Moab, across the Jordan River, all by herself because she wanted to be buried in the land of Israel. She wanted to go back to Israel. She wanted to be back in the land of her birth. You're going to allow this woman who has gone through nothing but grief and heartache and sorrow and is really suffering from the effect of her husband's deadly decisions. You are going to let her be alone. Is this the kind of person you are? But Ruth does something different. Two women from the same background, who have the same mother-in-law, who have the same family members, two different ways of dealing with someone else's pain. One person superficially offers a, an emotional sigh, an emotional cry, but the next one takes action. You see, Ruth is going to take action. Notice the Bible uses this word, cleave. The Bible says that Orpah, notice, kissed her mother-in-law, the Bible says, but Ruth claved to her. This is so important for us to know. What does it mean when the Bible says Ruth claved to her? This is a word that we see used one other place in Scripture. We see it not only used in the book of Deuteronomy, but we also see it used in the garden. The Bible says that, uh, that, that um, let a, a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. Why is that used between we, Ruth and Naomi? Literally meaning that when a person is married, they are not blood relations. That it is not a blood relationship. It is a relationship of family, meeting family, distant members, or distant um, people in the city. There's no blood relation involved. But yet, you see a coming together and a bearing of responsibility. What the Bible is showing us is that love must go deeper than just family members. Blood must go deeper than just someone who I'm related to in blood. Ruth was not related to Naomi, yet the Bible is going to qualify her and going to enter into God's 
hall of greatness. He's going, the Bible is going to show us character traits that God uses compared in context to the character traits God refuses. Because why? Ruth, uh, Naomi says to Ruth, behold, your sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But notice these words of Ruth. Ruth says, entreat me not to leave you, nor return from following after you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I die, and where you die, I will be buried. If the Lord do so to me, and more also, if not death, part thee and me. Notice, till death do us part. What does that mean? That is not some unbelievable controlling relationship. This is a loyalty that God is highlighting in the scripture and accentuating. Why? So that we too might develop these types of character traits in our lives with our relationships and also take the responsibility for others in our midst who may be suffering with equal suffering. It's not just us four and no more. I want you to see um, why this is so important when we study Mordecai. Because, beloved saints, we are seeing that the Bible is telling us that Mordecai has taken the responsibility for someone that actually is his cousin. But the Bible goes far beyond just feeling obligated. We need to see that the Bible is telling us here, he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, and she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took her to be his own daughter, meaning that Mordecai is taking the responsibility to, to actually take Esther under his wing and to love her as if she is his own daughter. That means that he's not going to treat her like a second-class citizen, that he's going to love Esther, that she is going to be his tender child, that he is going to make up for mother and father and nurture her and bring her up and teach her the word of God and nurture her and protect her and feed her and be with her all the days of her life. And so, beloved saints, we see that this is in the biblical resume because it's important. Now, I want you to see why we're reading this. Because God exalts Mordecai to an incredible platform. And you see, we have to have the proper perception of power. And I want you to understand that Mordecai understood what influence is all about. Mordecai understood this platform is given to me, not about me. God has exalted me. I'm next to King Ahasuerus. I have the most exalted position in the kingdom of Persia next to King Ahasuerus, also known as King Ahasuerus. I have this exalted position, not because I'm great, not so that people will know who I am, so I can lavish money upon myself, not so that I can politic my reason and what I want in life, but I'm going to use this platform to be an influence to benefit other people. And I want you to see what the Bible is showing us. 
in Esther chapter 10. We see in verse 1, and the secret is going to be found in verse 2 and 3. The Bible says, beginning in verse 2, and all the acts and power of his might and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai, wherein the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Medes and Persia? Notice verse 3. And Mordecai the Jew was next to King Ahasuerus, and great among the Jews, accepted among the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all of his seed. Notice what the Bible is telling us. The Bible is telling us that he's using this incredible position of power, seeking the wealth of his people. Now, I want you to see this clashing as a clashing contrast with Haman or Haman. I want you to understand the Bible has written this verse with a direct connect to uh, Esther chapter 3, verse 1. And there are certain literary devices that are actually in the text that will help us understand that the scripture is showing us a clashing contrast between the Mordecai leadership and the Haman leadership. I want you to see, first of all, in the book of Esther, we have one of the most powerful codes in all the Bible. It's not an ambiguous, esoteric code. It is a very easy code. It is called the King's Code. Whenever the Bible is referring to the King of Heaven, along with the actions of King Ahasuerus, but specifically wants us to focus on the King of Heaven and not the earthly king on earth, the name Ahasuerus or Ahasuerus in English will be removed from the verse. So notice in this verse, it does not say, and King Ahasuerus promoted Mordecai. It does not say that. No, it uses the code used for king. It uses his name without the name of Ahasuerus. Notice what it says in verse 2. The Bible says, and the greatness of Mordecai, whereunto the king advanced him, uh, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Mede and Persia? And Mordecai the Jew, now notice, in the second verse, it mentions King Ahasuerus' name. But in verse 2, in verse 3, it mentions his name. But in verse 2, it says the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai whereunto the king advanced him. I want you to see these words, the king advanced, because these very words are an explicit expression like that in another place, found in the book of Esther in the third chapter, using an explicit expression, which in a hermeneutical sense of scripture, is extremely relevant because when we see one verse of scripture in one verse and the same verses or words, the same words used in another verse of scripture or the same explicit expression used in another verse of scripture, then the scripture wants us to know that the author of the text deliberately interconnected these verses because they are related one to another. So let's see the verse that uh, Mordecai's greatness, wherewith the king advanced him, which verse in scripture it's related to. And why is it related to that particular verse? 
looking at Esther chapter 3, looking at verse 1, we are going to see the advancement of Haman or Haman, the son of Hamadatta. Notice, after these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatta, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that are with him. Notice the, the scriptural similarities used as an explicit expression. Number one, we have advanced him. This is an explicit expression used in Esther chapter 3, verse 1, and also in Esther chapter 10, verse 2. We also see the king advanced him. Notice we are seeing uh, this word, the king. We are seeing the king used in Esther chapter 3, verse 1. But we are also seeing in Esther chapter 3, verse 1, not just the king without the name of Ahasuerus. In, for, in, in Esther chapter 3, verse 1, the name of the king is added so that we will see the clashing contrast. One, the king of heaven is promoting. The other, the king on earth is promoting. And the Bible wants us to see the difference through these words, advance the seat or advanced him, so that we will understand they both had the equal position. They were both advanced by kings. One was advanced by the king on earth, King Ahasuerus, but the other was advanced by the king of kings, by the Lord God, by the king of heaven. He is the one who promoted Mordecai. So we see the one that was promoted with an earthly promotion. What is he going to use his platform for? We are going to see that he's going to use his platform to influence the king to murder Jews throughout the empire. We are going to see that his platform is used not only for himself, but his platform is used for his own political wickedness. His platform is used to be able to destroy Jews. Every single Jew in the empire of King Ahasuerus was going to be under a death decree because a certain man who was advanced to power, who was illicitly in love with his own self, who thought of that position for the purposes of his illicit um, graduation to fame and fortune, to his misperception of power and purpose, to use the platform that God had given him to advance himself, to make himself more um, abominably conceited about himself than he was, to be able to see that the whole purpose of this was to make himself great. But yet we see a clashing contrast in Mordecai. The whole purpose for Mordecai was to seek the greatness of his people. Now, why is the Bible showing us these two kinds of people using their platform for two entirely different purposes? So that we would understand when the gift of God-given greatness and platform and influence and power is given to us, it is not about us. It's not so we can get our name in. 
It's not so that we can get more money. It's not so that we can get fame and fortune. It's not so that we can be elite in the sight of the people, so that people will bow before us as Haman demanded. Notice Haman uh, commanded, influenced the king to such a degree that the king wrote a decree that all people should bow to Haman. And when Mordecai didn't bow, he went and sought not only the death of Mordecai, but the death of all the people of Mordecai because they refused to bow to him. Is that what we use power for? Do we use power for the purpose of people bowing to us so that we can be in control, so that we can control their lives? Are we power addicts? Do we have control issues? Are we in this just so we can be seen of men, so people will see how great we are, how powerful we are, how beautiful we are, or how important we are? Or are we going to use the platform the way Moses used the platform? Are we going to use the platform the way Mordecai used the platform? Or Esther used the platform? Esther used her platform for a completely selfless purpose. She used her platform to lay her life down for her people. She used her platform and every ounce of influence, every ounce of position, every ounce of talent in the brain, every ounce of processing skills, every ounce of strength, every ounce of love, every ounce of emotional power, every ounce of being able to assess the situation, every ounce of intelligence, every ounce of everything within her, that there was nothing left that Esther kept in reserve to herself, that Esther laid it all on the altar so that God could use it to save her people. Two different kinds of people. And so, the Bible wants us to understand that the platform is not about us, but the platform is given to us for a purpose. I want to close with this very important text found in Nehemiah chapter 8. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we see another that is ascended to a great place of honor in the hall of biblical greatness. We see this is a person by the name of Ezra. Ezra was a scribe. Ezra caused a tremendous revival among the people of God. And he, in his revival of bringing the word, caused a huge change among those who uh, migrated back to the Holy Land and in the immigration waves resettled themselves and began to rebuild the ruins of Zion. I want you to see in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 4, the Bible is going to tell us why God gives us a platform, why God gives us purpose, and that the platform is given for our God-given purpose. The platform is given for your destiny. The platform is given, and it's not about us. And I want you to see a little secret that's going to bring great success found in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 4, but also the key is going to be found in verse 5. Let's look at the Word of God. The Bible is telling us that they actually built a pulpit of wood for Nehemiah. I mean, for Ezra in the book of Nehemiah. Let's look. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. 
Now, I want you to understand this pulpit of wood was not just like a pulpit that you preach on. It was actually a platform. He stood upon a platform of wood for the purpose. Usually the word purpose is used in the Hebrew language, which is the word hepsi, which also means desire. But in this case, the word hep, uh, this word for, for purpose is the word platform. And here we understand this word, excuse me, purpose is the word dabar, which means wood, which means word. God wants you to know that the word of God is what brings your purpose to the forefront. And once your purpose is known unto you, God prepares your platform. You see, your purpose and your platform cannot be separated. Because your platform is given to you for the purpose by which God created you. Now, I want you to understand the Bible says here that they made Ezra, the scribe, a pulpit of wood, and they made it for the purpose. Notice verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, the people stood up. I want you to understand the purpose of that pulpit was so that Ezra could read the word of God to all the people and make the people understand the word. And this pulpit was high above all the people, which represents a platform of influence. But notice when he opened the book, the Bible says the people stood up. I want you to understand the people stood up is actually a prophetic parallel. When the people stand up, they go up to the next level. When the people stand up, they go to a higher place. When the people stand up, they go into their destiny. When the people stand up, they come out of the pit into their promise. When the people stand up, they stand up high. They stand up and get to their destinies. When the people stand up, they stand up in courage and valor. When the people stand up, they're no longer on a lower level. They're no longer in this place where they are humiliated and degenerated. When the people stand up, they come to their highest place, their highest position. Position and notice that the platform was given so that the people could stand up. I want you to know that your platform has been given to you so that when you open the word, when God gives you your God-given platform for your God-given purpose, it is so the people can stand up. This is why the Bible tells us so clearly in Esther chapter 10, verse 3, and the man Mordecai was great among the Jews, seeking the welfare of his people, speaking peace unto all of his seed, seeking the welfare, seeking the benefit, using the platform to open a door for someone else, using the platform to make somebody else's life not so hard. So your platform may be to help a single mother. Your platform may be to buy a little child some shoes that doesn't have any. Your platform may be to put a good word in for someone who's never had a good job and just to give them a chance. Your place, your position, your platform, your influence is not about you. It's given to you so that you can use it for the blessing and benefit of someone else. I want to close with this thought. The Bible tells us something very serious 
about an individual who felt so entitled and felt so, this is my place, so filled with self, so filled with self-assurance and conceit and someone who absolutely had no regard for others. And this is a person by the name of Adonijah. The Bible tells us in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 5, and the Bible says, Adonijah exalted himself, saying, I will be king. I want to say that again. And Adonijah, the son of Hagen, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And his father had not stopped him at any time by saying, why have you done this? Now, I want you to understand Adonijah by rights, by birthright, really was after Absalom in birth order and legally, according to birth order, the, the throne should have been to Adonijah. But the Bible is going to show us God rejected Adonijah. He self-exalted himself. The Bible says Adonijah exalted himself. I want you to understand that being king in the Davidic dynasty was not about exalting yourself. And I want you to understand that any platform that God entrusts to us is not about exalting ourselves. This uh, platform that was given to Adonijah would have, should have been given for the purpose of blessing others. But we see that though he was legally entitled to that place, to that position, God rejected him. And God had foreordained before the foundation of the world that Solomon would take the place of King David. Solomon was not even qualified in the birth order. Solomon was the most unqualified of all of David's sons to become king next. But you see, God saw into Solomon's heart. God saw that Solomon, beloved saints, that Solomon did not seek his self. And this is shown to us in the dream that Solomon had at Gibeon. If you remember in 1 Kings chapter 3, the Bible tells us in verse 5 that the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and God said, ask anything and I'm going to give it to you. And Solomon in his dream did not ask for himself, but he said, Lord, give me a wise and understanding heart that I might be able to govern this thy people for who is able to govern such a great people. I want you to understand he didn't want this wisdom for himself, but he wanted this wisdom to be able to guide the people into their affairs with discretion. And the Bible says the, the saying pleased God. And God said, because you did not ask for yourself, I, uh, you did not ask for riches for yourself. You did not ask for a long life for yourself. Neither did you ask for the necks of your enemies for yourself. You see, what God said is you didn't ask for yourself. And all three of those areas that God said you didn't ask for yourself would have been the logical areas that a king would be asking God if God said, ask me anything. But you see, Solomon requested for himself, but for the use of others, that 
God would bless him with discernment, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge so that everyone he came in contact with would know the righteousness of God so that he could vindicate the poor, so that he could execute judgment for the widow, so that he could help the orphan, the fatherless, the stranger, and the widow, so that he could execute God's word righteously in the kingdom and set up righteousness in the kingdom. Now, beloved saints, I want you to know that as we understand our platform, we will also understand our purpose. And our purpose is not about us. It's about serving God selflessly for the purpose of opening doors and blessing others. Amen and amen. Now, beloved saints, if you have joined us today, I want to give this opportunity for you to sow seeds into this ministry. You know Breath of the Spirit Ministries has works of Hesed all over the world. We have works of Hesed in Uganda, works of Hesed in the Philippines. We have works of Hesed in Pakistan and in India and in so many other places. Works for the poor, daily feeding programs, um, medical programs, just so many programs that, uh, beloved saints, that your love and your gifts can help us. I want you also to know that we have just opened our orphan home in the month of October, the Nazir Orphan Home in Cairo, outside of Cairo, with four beautiful girls now in that orphan home that came from Christian background that we are raising, educating, and bringing to Christ Beloved saints, I want to invite you to be part of this ministry. And you can do that today by going to breathofthespirit.org. That's breathofthespirit.org. And when you get to our website, please push the donate button and the PayPal giving platform will appear to you. We thank you for sowing a generous seed for the kingdom of God. And then for those who want to give a push pay or text to give option, you can sew it at HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, and text it to 77977. That's 77977. Beloved, if you joined us today, it's our great opportunity to have you with us I want you to pray that God will be glorified throughout any persons who watch this program today to be blessed and mantled with doors of destiny and opportunity and doors in their finances, doors with their families, doors with their children. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you real soon. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button. 
or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.